you have your Bible, turn to the book of John, chapter 1. If you have your phone, do that as well. If not, it'll be up on the screens. John is in the New Testament. After Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're going to start in John, then we're going to jump to a couple of other places this morning. As we look at the idea of let every heart prepare him room this morning. In our Joy to the World song, we're working verse line by line, and this morning we're going to look at let every heart prepare him room. And every Sunday that we gather here at HCC, we, we open this book. And this book is more than just a collection of good ideas, a collection of moral thoughts, or some guidelines for life. We believe that this book was written by man, inspired by God, and that every word in it is powerful and helpful and inspired by God, and it is the truth, not a truth. It is the truth that will guide you to the one thing that will give you hope, the one thing that will fill you with love, the one thing that frees you from everything else, and that is Jesus, and that is why we gather this morning. So if you are there in John, we're going to be chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. This morning, I want us to be able to have a little fun if you've, if you've heard me speak before, I, I, I think one of my goals is to make you laugh at least once. Um, I'm also good at the laughing at, not with. It's okay. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. But I think church should be fun. I think when we gather together as God's people, it should be a celebration and it should be a blast. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to challenge you. doesn't mean I'm not going to make you think about some things. But I want to do it in a way that lets us all leave with a smile, leave feeling I don't know, feeling better. Because I, I got to be honest, if, if, if I'm up here just spouting off words and you wake up tomorrow morning with no idea how to do life better with Jesus than you did now, I've really just wasted your time. And I don't want to do that. I'm, time is precious. I've got three kids now and, and time is incredibly precious. And I don't want to waste a moment of yours. So when Dane and I were first moving back to Harrisonville, we lived down in Bolivar, when she finished up her doctorate program, we decided to, to come back home. We were born and raised here and decided to come back home. And, and of course, when you move, you start looking for houses. And we looked at a bunch of different houses and, and there were some that we, we really liked. And there was one we really liked, but, but I, we'd walked all the way through and we get to the, the master bedroom and it's got the master bath. And I walk in and I'm thinking, mm, we might have some issues here in the master bathroom. It wasn't the color it wasn't the layout. It was the fact that when I got into the shower, I couldn't close the door. My, this wall was, this arm was on the wall, and this, I couldn't, and I have to like, wasn't happening, wasn't happening, wasn't doing it. So we found this one house we really liked, and we were going to put an offer, and then someone else put an offer. It's okay, we forgave them. Um, and we ended up looking at the house we live in now. And if I haven't told you the story about our house, it's, it's a, it's, God gave it to us. There's no other way to say it. It was a, it was a sign and a wonder from God. It's, it's so much bigger than we could have ever thought of as a first house, and it's still huge. It's amazing. But when we walked in, we walk in, I'm like, wow. 
We go and we see all these closets. There's a bedroom and a bedroom and a bedroom and more closets and more closets. We've got a sunroom and then we go downstairs and it's a full basement and then the full basement leads into a storage space. And I got to thinking, we will never fill this place. We will, and I, some of you people with kids are already laughing at my story. We'll never, we will never have enough stuff to fill this house. It's just not going to happen. That was a lie. Now there's stuff everywhere. I step over toys. Like my house, it's, it's expansive and I'm stepping over and there's clothes and there's toys and there's toys and there's toys. It's everywhere. And so much of it is mine. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I don't believe in ghosts, but I believe in demons and I believe that there is a demon that steals socks. And I believe there's a demon that brings your junk and puts it right in your way all the time. I believe in that demon. I've cast him out. We've done it. But there's st- our house is full, except for the guest bedroom. The guest bedroom has no toys in it. I'm sorry, I looked down the other day, it has two Nerf bullets, which is essentially no toys. It's empty. It's always prepared. We have a room prepared to receive people. It's always open. Bed's always made. Towels are always there, ready for them. And no of, none of our stuff, none of our junk goes in there. When I got to thinking about preparing him room, that's what we do. When it comes to Jesus and it comes to preparing him room, we have one space for him. All the other spaces, the other bedrooms, the kitchen, the living room, the dining room, the fr- everything else is mine with all my junk. But that one space can be his. I don't believe ever that's what Jesus intended for us. I don't believe ever that that is what Jesus intended for our lives, that we give him one space. We give him Sunday morning from 10 to noon. That's your guest bedroom, Jesus, and I'm gonna worship you and I'm gonna love you and I'll bring none of my junk there. It's all you. But the living room, ooh. Because when I was thinking about this, to prepare him room really means to give him the whole house. Guys, speaking to my dad's, to give him your chair and your remote. Which my house is always on kids' shows, so that's null and void in my house anymore, but I still have my chair. But when we say prepare him room, and in John 1, chapter 12, when it says to receive him, it is to receive him wholly, completely, and totally. And I love when scripture tells you what it means to receive him. It means to believe in his name. And whenever you see the phrase in his name, it's not talking about Jesus. It's not talking about his name, what he went by. It's talking about his character, his nature, his will, and his purpose. So when we say that we receive him and believe in his name, it means that we believe in all of the things. That's why I love that we sang the song, the song of the creed, I believe, because it talks about all the things that we believe. We need to believe in Jesus as the son of God. We need to believe in him as the word made flesh, as the Messiah, our savior. Mark talked about last week as our king, our redeemer. We need to believe in his love and his forgiveness and his compassion and his grace and his mercy. We need to believe in his word, that his word is truth and it guides us. When it says to receive him, it means to receive him completely. It doesn't mean to give him one specific space. I heard someone say one time that 
that Jesus is not the salt that you put on the meat. He's the meat. He's not the extra that you put on top of the things you're already doing. He's not an added ingredient. He is the thing. He is the whole piece. And he should be the centerpiece. And everything that we do should revolve around him. Which means, because everybody, everybody in our living rooms, maybe, maybe you're different and you're like a family that reads and stuff, but if everybody else, what does all of your stuff in the living room point towards? The television. Every chair, everything in the living room points to the television. Everything in our heart. If we say that Jesus, if we have received him, that means everything in our life should be centered towards him. He should be the central focus of everything that we do. And this morning, I want to walk through just two things. Two things that I think have a tendency to push out that room that have a tendency in our lives to take Jesus from the kitchen, dining room, living room, and push him back into just that guest space, and sometimes to begin to fill that guest room with our own stuff. And we just keep pushing him out, and we keep pushing him out. Because no one, no one first believes in Jesus. When they first believe in Jesus, no one thinks that they'll ever, they'll, there will ever come a time when there's not space for Jesus in their lives. No one, no one prays at the altar or, 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 is, or is led by someone else to know who Jesus is, to place their faith in him, to receive him, that thinks, oh man, in 15 years, I'm probably gonna crowd this dude out. That there's gonna be so many things in my life that I'm, I'm you know, let's be honest, I'm probably gonna crowd him out. But if we don't know how to relate to the two things that I'm talking, I wanna talk about this morning, they will constantly frustrate us they will constantly add more things to our life and they will consistently push out Jesus. I'm gonna give you the two things. I'm not, I don't wanna like leave you in limbo. It's our strengths and our weaknesses. So this is a universal message because we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses. So this isn't a message where you get to elbow your neighbor. You get to like text someone and be like, you need to hear this message. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like you're sitting in church and you start thinking like, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I wish that person was here so they could hear this truth so they can get their life together right now. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we don't ever like, we don't think, oh, I'm glad I'm here. I need to get my life. No, it's always somebody else. I'm guilty of that as well. But if we don't know how to relate to our strengths and weaknesses, we're always gonna be frustrated. We're always gonna be finding reasons to push out Jesus and not give him the room that he's asked for. So we'll start with our strengths. And as I'm talking, if you want to jump to the book of Philippians, we're going to read a verse there. We're going to look at two verses written by the same guy that are completely opposite. And this is something that God's been working with me on, really challenging me, is how I relate to him in my strengths and how I relate, relate to him in my weaknesses. Because we've all got strengths. And they're incredibly important to us, and we're taught that our strengths define us. We're taught that the things that we're good at end up defining us. And how do I know this? Because at once I became an adult and I meet someone new, the first thing we, we exchange is our names. And then the second thing we talk about is what do you do? Hi, my name is Brian. Hi, I'm Jason. What, well, what do you do? What's your job? What's your profession? What are you good at? What defines you? And that's why I like to call strengths giftings. Because you can't boast in a gift. You can't take pride in a gift. It was a gift given to you, not something you've earned. So in Philippians chapter 4, I probably should have turned there too, instead of just talking the whole time. 
Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. I love this opening line by Paul. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I love it. It's just so honest of Paul. Y'all think you're good? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. You think you're skilled. You think you're accomplished. You think you've done some things. Sit down. Let me tell you something. And he starts listing. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. It's his resume. In the job interview, what are your strengths? Here they are. Here's everything I'm good at. But he doesn't stop there. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing or receiving. Anytime today that you see that I say the word knowing, you can replace that with receiving. It's the same word. That he says that all of these strengths, all of my accomplishments, everything that I'm good at, it's nothing compared to receiving and making space, making room for Jesus. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The message translation uses the phrase dog dung. That's why I like the message Bible, because it's truthful. In order that I may gain Christ, that I may give him more room and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. As Christians, I think we struggle with our strengths. I don't, I don't think we know exactly how to be okay with our strengths. Because what happens is, is we, we develop this false humility. And I saw this when I was on campus in college. I went to a Baptist school, go Bearcats. And I remember there was one time that I was, in, I was in a criminal justice program and this, this one young lady that was in my class, she had a presentation. I knew she was super nervous. She's like super nervous, super terrified. So she got all dressed up like you do for a presentation in college. And I walk into class and I was like, wow, you look, you look really nice today. And she did this. No. Excuse me? She said, no. That's the Lord looking good through me. I didn't know what to do. Have you ever heard, like, somebody says something just so dumb that it strikes you down? Like, I don't, I'm weak. I don't know what to do. I can't, I don't, you're welcome. I just went and sat down. Like, I don't know how to relate to you anymore. But we, we can't even take a compliment like, some, like, I'm standing up here and I'm talking and someone comes up afterwards, Brian, you, you did so well. No, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Mm-mm. Jesus did well. He's the only thing that's good. It's true, but just accept a compliment. Because if we're never okay with our strengths, we'll never let anyone else be okay with theirs. One of my dreams has always been to play an instrument and lead worship. I think worship is the coolest part of church. 
Do you know what God did not give me? Any form of musical talent whatsoever. So what can happen really quickly is every time that Aaron's up here and he's like shredding faces and melting faces with his guitar, I can be like, Jesus, what are you doing? I go to church every Sunday. I pray. I, I read. I talk to I share your word. I'm a, I am in ministry. This is my life. And you don't give me the one thing I want. And every time that he plays, I can get angry at him. And I can become resentful of other people who have the gifts that I wanted to have. Instead of being comfortable in what I'm okay at. Being comfortable in what I'm good at. And being okay that God has given me the ability to share his word. To be able to speak. And I need to be able to say that. And it's not arrogance. It's not pride. It is saying God has given me this gift. Because how can I have arrogance and pride in a gift that was given me? I didn't choose this. Talk to my wife. I didn't choose this. I fought this. I said, no. No, 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 no. You... (laughs) Funny story. I told God, you don't know me. (laughs) Read some Bible. Not true. But everywhere that I have strength, it's because he has given it to me. But on the other side, too often, we end up doing life completely on our own strength. We become self-sufficient. One of the most challenging questions someone asked me in the last few years, how would your life look any different if you didn't have Jesus? If you didn't have Jesus, if if you didn't believe and you weren't a church-going person, would your life look any different? Basically, where are you relying on God and not relying on yourself? Because I I consider myself a man of prayer, but I don't know how many times I will be so frustrated in a situation and finally realize I have done everything else but ask God to come into the situation. You know what I mean? Like, you get so frustrated, you're like, I've done everything, I've done everything, I've done everything. Oh. I've done everything in my strength instead of allowing God to come into the situation when he's just, but he's so polite, which drives me nuts. He's so polite just standing out there like, oh, you're cute. Look at you. It's like watching your kid trying to zip up their jacket. It's like, you're cute. It's not going to work. And you're going to get frustrated. There it is. There's the frustration. Here, let me help you. That's God. He's always like standing on the outside looking at us going, I can help you. Let me help you. Like, no, I got it. I'm fine. I'm fine. I can do this. If we cannot relate to our strengths, we will constantly Push out God by becoming too self-sufficient. And guys, that's exhausting. We were never intended to do this life on our own. We were never intended to accomplish the things that God has set before us in our own strength. And that's kind of how you know it's something that God has set in front of you because you can't do it on your own strength. Jesus told his disciples, hey, hey guys, real quick, apart from me, you can do nothing. Just thought you should know. He didn't say, apart from me, you'll be kind of okay. You'll manage. No, he said, without me, guys, you literally can't do anything. And I got to thinking about that because I wish, I wish he would have been like, okay, try breathing. See, with I didn't let you, you couldn't. It was scary, wasn't it? It was terrifying. Like, I, because we can't take our next breath. We think like, it's just going to keep coming. Not unless Jesus says it can. 
We get this idea that the sun's going to come up every morning. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. Until one day Jesus says, no. He has the power over all things. And we need to move him from that guest room into the living room, into the kitchen. And we need to receive him wholly, believing in his character and his will and his purpose in our lives so that we can use the strengths God has given us to advance his kingdom. The strengths that we have are not for our enjoyment, they're for the blessing of others. And the second one I want to talk about is our weaknesses. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to turn there real quick, it'll also be up on the screen. This is a really interesting section of scripture where Paul is talking about having a thorn in his flesh. I don't want to go into that. That's a whole other message for a whole other day. But he kind of flips the way we view our weaknesses kind of right on its head. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. So he says that I, I, he says, I, prayed, for, I prayed that God would remove my, that, that thorn in my flesh three times. He said, no. Again, another message for another day. But he did say to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. He's, yeah, that's what he said. I'm going to say it again. I will boast, I will celebrate, I will rejoice and have joy in my weaknesses, because that's easy. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Everybody in this room has weaknesses. Everyone in this room has sin issues. And I want to separate those two a little bit because according to this verse here, he says, I will boast in the gift that is my weakness. That's not sin. Jesus does not give you sin. That is your choice. That is my choice. Okay? But Paul chooses to see his weaknesses as gifts. And we all have, and so I want to talk about our weaknesses, not, not the sin issues, the weaknesses the propensities, the struggles, the issues, the places where we're easily tempted, we've got to stop hiding them. We've got to stop being ashamed of those places. Because James, in, in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. Some of us, from day one, of following Jesus until now are so frustrated because we're dealing with the same issues over and over and over. And I truly believe that part of that reason is because we've never confessed them to anyone. I'm gonna make a couple of bold statements. I think right now some marriages are struggling because we've never confessed to our partner, our spouse, babe, this is... This is where I'm weak. This is where I'm not good. This is that really dirty part of my life that I don't want to, I'm, we're, gonna, we're gonna just hide that over here. I'm a man of God. I don't got no issues. What are you talking about? I'm a pastor. I don't got no issues. We're just gonna hide those. But no, there's nothing. Like that kid that's like hiding something behind their back. There's nothing back there. I ain't got a cookie. No, I'm good. 
We always want to hide them. We're so ashamed of anything that we're not good at. And James says, no, no, no. Actually, bring that out here. Hold it in front of you. And say, here's my issues. I have issues. You have issues. Your kids have issues. I feel like, Oprah, you have an issue. You have an issue. You have an issue. We all have issues. And sometimes we come to church and we pretend, not sometimes, all the time we come to church and we pretend we don't got issues. We go home after church pretending we don't have issues. I think we need to do what, when I was in junior high, I went to, I went to the public school because I didn't know Christian school existed. When I got to freshman year in high school, like 12 kids showed up out of nowhere. Like, where'd y'all come from? Like the Christian school, the what? What are you talking about? Like, yeah, the Christian, what do you mean the Christian school? It's like a school where we talk about the Bible. Okay, I was not saved then, different person. But like they came out of nowhere. But sorry, side rabbit trail. Back to junior high. When I was in junior high, when you thought that someone else liked you, you would play this game. And when this game was, you'd go, one, okay, on three, we're gonna, at the same time, we're gonna say who we like. Because you, like, you, you weren't really sure and you couldn't like extend yourself out there and so I had this one girl, I've asked Dana permission to share this. I had this one girl in sixth grade I was in love with. Whew, junior high love, you know, that powerful, strong love that lasts two, three weeks tops. I was in love. And so we'd been talking for a while and, 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 and I, I, was, I was pretty sure, pretty sure she was into me. Because like, honestly, how can, how can you not? And so I was, we were, I was at lunch and before everyone else got to our table, we had our plates and I said, hey, right now, real quick, real quick, on three, who do you like? And she's like, okay. Like, one, two, three, you. So this is what I heard. Jason. <laughs> I don't know if you heard at the beginning. My name's Brian. <laughs> Jason was my best friend. Literally, best friend. It's part of my weaknesses. Still working on forgiving that. And I knew she was lying because seriously, like, how could you not? But I think that's what we're all afraid of. We think like one, two, three, I'm gonna say my issue and be like, I don't got nothing. Or we're gonna say something that like, it's not an issue. Or this, here we go, this is what we do. We say the issues that we had in the 90s. Cause that's fine to have issues back then. Yeah, like in 99, I was, whoo, that was a wild year. I was really struggling in 99, you know. For you kids, it'd be like 2009, because you don't know what the 90s were. It was awesome time, great music, look it up. But we think it's okay to have issues then, but not okay now. We've gotten this idea that part of growing up as a Christian, we think that part of becoming more discipled is being more self-sufficient. When in reality, becoming more discipled becomes becoming real comfortable with all these weaknesses over here and going, God, I need you. I need you. These, the, the, in the message, he says that, Paul calls these the limitations that cut me down to size. The limitations that cut me down to size the ones who do not let me get too high on myself, that remind me, without Jesus, this is me. There's none of the strengths over there. Without Jesus, this is all I got. 
And I've got to become okay with that. I've got to become okay with having these weaknesses because the weaknesses remind me of my desperate need for Jesus. We've got this idea that we think that to come to church, I got to clean myself up and then come. Good luck with that. Good luck cleaning yourself up to get to church. I've been in church 17 years. I ain't no cleaner today than I was then. Do you know why? One sin, one issue, one thing is the same as a thousand. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all standing here, ladies and gentlemen. Every now and then we get to walk over here into our strengths and have some super cool fun and enjoy it. And this is awesome. And these are the times we want to celebrate. And this is where we want to live. And I think we're supposed to live here. But too often, I think this is where we stand is with our issues and our junk and our stuff. And Paul says, I'm going to boast in these things. I'm going to celebrate and be joyful in these things. It's almost like he's saying, thank you. Thank you? Our weaknesses are like, thank you? I almost ruined your life. Yes, yes, you did. There was four or five times in life where I was pretty sure you had won. But you didn't. Because I have Jesus. Did you know? Do you know that Jesus says that he remembers your sins no more? I've got this picture in my brain that I'm gonna get to heaven. I'm gonna see Jesus. I'm gonna be like, Jesus, I am so, so sorry. He's gonna be, for what? What do you mean sorry? Well, like, oh God, 99, 01, like those nine times in 02, all of 2003. He's like, what are you, what are you, you, what are you talking about? It's like, I love you. I love you. But, but Jesus, I, I've got these sins. No, you don't. Jesus, you're the all-knowing God. Mm-hmm, I am. What do you mean you don't remember? I decided. I decided to not remember your sins anymore. Now, here's what's fun. Talking about strengths real quick. I wasn't sure I was going to share this, but I think I am. People ask me all the time, do I get nervous when I speak? And I say, no, I get excited. Like, really, you get excited? Yeah, because I get excited to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> Please, no, I work hard on my messages. I pray through them. I study scripture. But that whole thing about God remembering your sins no more, I'll give you my notes in it, in there. And I guarantee the thing you're going to remember most from my message is that point. Because I didn't think it up. That's why I know this is, that's why I know this is a strength. Because I didn't think that. That didn't come from my brain. That came from my spirit, which is God's spirit. And he says, these people right now, in this moment, they need to know I don't remember their sins anymore. I don't care. It's not important. These things over here, great, bring them with you. I love you. When we receive him, when we receive Jesus, when we receive him holy, his, when we prepare him room, we become his children. And guys, we don't, we don't understand what that means. We don't get it. 
we, we just, we are adopted. Scripture says we're grafted in, we're holy and unconditionally loved children of God. When we realize that, we can't help but prepare him room. We can't help but give him more than just that guest bedroom. When we take a step back and we realize all that God has done for us, we can't help but say, take it all. Take my good chair, we'll have the good food, have my my remote, you can have my phone, you can have everything. I give you, I give you all of it. I prepare you the ultimate amount of room because you're so good to me. So this morning, how do you, how do you think God sees you? How do you think when you look at God, how does he see you? Is he proud of you because of all the things you do well? Absolutely, he is. He is. Every time when my kids come home with work, it amazes me how smart they are. I'm so proud of them, of all the things that they do well. But does that mean I love them more? Absolutely not. God doesn't love us more when we're doing all the right things. That would make it conditional love. Do you see that he's angry at you because of your weaknesses? You couldn't be more wrong. Because if he did... That would be conditional love. Do you see him as out to get you? He's a good, loving, and caring father. He sees you as his child. His child. And every parent in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. That one's mine. I love that one. I can tell you all, I can tell you all their weaknesses. Every, all my kids, I can tell you all the things they're not good at. All the propensities they have, all the struggles they have. But they're mine. And this is what Paul says. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us, received us. We receive him because he first received us. We make room for him because he first made room for us. Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. For you specifically. There is a place in God's house for you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're currently doing. Not even the worst sins listed in Scripture can keep you from God's love. Because there's only two types of people in this world. 
There's those who bear his image and those are who have said yes to Jesus, received him, and are his children. Jesus loves the whole world. Keith talked about it. For God so loves the entire world. There is always a place in God's house for you. And some of you need to hear that this morning. I don't know who I'm preaching to, who I'm talking to, but some of you, somebody in this room, I think a lot of people in this room need to hear this morning. There is always a place for you in God's house. He will always receive you. He will always welcome you. He will always forgive you. And that is why when we see that we are children of God, it becomes so easy to prepare him room.